This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. Breaking news to the newsroom. All right, welcome back. Yes, during break, it looks like that we might have a little bit of movement on everyone's favorite sitch, and that is the Aaron Rodgers situation, where, according to Trey Wingo, formerly of ESPN, who now works, I believe, for the Caesars organization? 11 minutes ago, hearing Rodgers to the Jets is done. History about to repeat itself between New York and Green Bay. Time is indeed a flat circle. So is the earth. Just ask Kyrie. But yes, Aaron Rodgers evidently liked what he saw (laughs) from the Jets group that flew out to meet with him. There's no word on the compensation yet at all, but according to Trey Wingo, this is indeed done. So everyone that was just waiting on the edge of your seat about what is this guy finally going to do? Which is why the report from earlier today that said, hey, the time frame is open and neither the Packers or the Jets really know what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. And Aaron doesn't know either. B.S. B.S. They've known exactly what was going on. And according to Trey Wingo, this is done. We'll keep an eye. We'll find out what the parameters of this are, how much money the Jets are picking up on this, because I think that's very key in all of this. And RIP, if you're a Packers fan out there, RIP your 2023 season because Green Bay just waved the white flag. What is white cheese? Swiss? They've waved the Swiss cheese flag, Matt, and said we are not competing for 2023. But that's okay. We're, we're, We're willing to not compete in 23 to get this guy out from underneath our banner. And with that, let's welcome in Eli Letterman to the Blitz 1170 from the Tulsa world. What's up, Eli? How are you, buddy? Pop, what's going on? I'm seeing the same news you are. And despite whatever expertise I carry as a New Yorker who grew up in and around Jets culture, I got to ask you about your quarterback, the 49ers, and no longer having the prettiest quarterback in the NFL. (laughs) You know what? I just played taps literally on the air for Jimmy Garoppolo no longer being a member of the 49ers. Yes, the handsome devil didn't work out. Mr. Squarejaw, everyone wishes they looked like him or had the same physical stature and presence of him. Uh, I'm good with it. Like, it was time. Last year was was a weird one from the timing and also the injury. So it just seemed like that um, – it just seemed like it was time, right? It seemed like it was time. Uh Uh-oh, we have dueling reports now because Ian Rappaport is saying, oh, not so fast, that nothing has happened yet. we got a sources are saying off. we got a source off with Rappaport who makes up like 40% of everything he reports anyway. Oh, I'm sorry I said that out loud. He's very sensitive about that on Twitter, too. (laughs) He will block you if you're not careful. Uh, And then Trey Wingo, who worked formerly at ESPN. So, yeah, look, I I have no problem with it. They're moving forward. I, I still... I don't believe that Purdy's going to be ready in time. Uh, you gave up three first-round picks for Trey Lance. He only got to play two and a half games. It's tra- it's time to see what you gave up that amount of draft equity for to move up and get a guy like that. So it's uh, it's time to move on. Makes sense. I'm very curious about it now, given that I think maybe after the Eagles, 
and outside of the quarterback position, the Niners might have been the most impressive, most talented team in the NFL last year. And they could do it again next year, but we'll come back, I guess, with questions still a quarterback. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt they will indeed. Uh, they did get Javon Hargrave today from the Eagles. So that was uh, nice for them. Cost them a pretty penny, but hey, that's what uh, happens with the defensive tackles during this time of the year. I can't remember. So are you a Jets fan or no? Hate to admit it, but I'm a Patriots fan. Okay. All the family oh, no. often convinced me at a young age and. Truthfully, I mean, look, I'm a Mets fan, so I've, I've got plenty of my own suffering, but avoiding the Jets and trading that into the Patriots was a pretty good exchange I made. Listen, uh, at one point in time in my life, I would have booed you for saying the Patriots, but I can no longer do that because I've adapted as a human being and completely understand where your fan uh, loyalty lies with them. All right, um, Boy, where do we start? I wanted to play this for anyone that didn't get to hear it last night. Uh, so bear with me. This is a quick little 20 or 30 seconds, Eli. But this is Chris Reynolds, who is the chairman of the committee last night, explaining on the selection show why, indeed, Oklahoma State was the first team out. Chris, it's always, I'm sure, the toughest cut is that first team out, which is Oklahoma State. Six quad one wins, 12 quad one losses, eighth overall strength of schedule. What did the Cowboys not do to get in this thing? Well, when you look at their resume, um, they had 18 opportunities in the quad one, and they won only six games. And they had opportunities in the non-conference uh, schedule to win some games to enhance their resume, and they fell a little short. All right, Eli, are you buying that on what was uh, laid out there from the committee chair on the Oklahoma State Cowboys? Yeah, I mean, there, there's contradictions in almost everything you see, and there, there are plenty of, uh, of pe- folks who took to Twitter after hearing those comments and pointed out, you know, other teams who made the field and losses they had, and you can give yourself a pretty good headache diving into all the bracketology of it. But the fact is, I think this Oklahoma State team was, was right there, and we know that by the fact that they were the 69th team in the 68-team field. I also think they left themselves probably the, the thinnest margin of error they could in the end, and and um, they needed a lot probably to break their way after they went out against Texas and Kansas City. And a lot almost did. They were, they were right there. But um, there can be debate about who should be in, in this field and, and what should be valued and contradictions across the country. But, you know, the bottom line is, is there, were, there were losses on that, that Oklahoma State schedule, a non-conference play that, that didn't help them. There was, you know, the, the Big 12 resume, you know, you've got nine wins. What do nine wins? What do three of those coming over Oklahoma State, or excuse me, over Oklahoma, mm. do for you? I don't know. Yep. And and that record against the very top of the conference, you know, shows that that against the very best teams in the very best conference, you know, they they were not um, maybe tournament caliber. But man, uh, it, it's a tough break for Mike Boynton and them. I mean, after after what they went through last season and and being so close this time um, is a shame. But I, I I'd imagine. Uh, that this team that's now looking pretty shorthanded without Chris Harris, uh, I think down to nine scholarship guys. Um, let's see what they can do in the NIT. I'm like you. I do think that if you spend your time um, in the internet, um, what a dark hole, however you want to phrase it, of going and trying to compare like resumes and seeing what everyone else says about it, all you're doing is hurting yourself more than anything. The decision has already been made. I was asked earlier from Big Al on if I felt like that quote, they got screwed. Um, 
And I, I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that this is something that's over the top egregious by the committee at all. Um, every there, there's a team every single year that's kind of in that same realm that gets left out. Now, do I factor in the Avery Anderson issue uh, injury? Of course, of course I do. Uh, that's where I kind of side with Godlieb on this. You know, if if Avery had been healthy, I think they clearly would have been an NCAA tournament team and wouldn't have been in this position at all. Uh, maybe even if he would have gotten healthy to play in a couple of of Big Twelve tournament games, maybe that would have been the case. But that's that's not the case. Uh, I think there was a there's probably like two or three teams that were left out of the four that were listed as the first four out. I wasn't buying North Carolina and their resume at all, but the other ones, Oklahoma State, Rutgers and maybe maybe Clemson. I know that net rating for Carolina was bigger than Clemson's, but maybe you could make the argument that only two were the ones that were really uh, anywhere even in this conversation right now. But it's not something that's just over the top. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe that Oklahoma State got screwed. Uh, I think if you, you want to look at times Oklahoma State has been screwed by an NCAA entity, you can look to the 2021-22 season, not 22-22. Yeah. You want to put it that way. I, I don't think – I think, you get, again, you can have all the arguments. We can go over, you know, quad one wins and non-conference records and records against – tournament qualifiers and at-large teams we can do all that but the bottom line is you know you have some of those non-con losses that they had and you have uh the, the losing streak in in february and and you know the record against the top of the big 12 and maybe they had enough maybe with avery anderson i probably tend to agree there that they would have had enough but but ultimately they they left themselves right on that razor's edge and when when you do that this time of year, this is where you can be. I mean, OU themselves were within this spot last year of mm. being right there, just missing out. And and for them, it was the NIT, and uh, and and that's where it's going to be for Oklahoma State. But I I do think they were they were just right on that line. And and when you play that game this time of year, you can wind up where they are now. You brought up Oklahoma, uh, no inclusion in the NIT. Kind of had the feeling that that would be the case. Uh, with the overall losing record at which they had, so um, in terms of shock, not not a whole lot to me. And I I thought it was the writing was on the wall after that third round of bedlam. You've got guys that are going to the bench, and you just can just see the outpouring of emotion. Uh, I think they all knew it at that moment too. And I would still make the argument that man, that that looked like much like Oklahoma State did. Oklahoma State looked like a tired team. Uh, when they lost to uh, Texas, Oklahoma looked like a tired team against Oklahoma State, and uh, no postseason play, which is concerning because that doesn't happen very often in Norman. No, I mean it's 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 interesting. They were probably not you know within that top thirty-two uh, teams you would have thought for, for the NIT, but then you see North Carolina declining a bit, and and that's where I think things could have happened for OU. Is if enough. Uh, of the schools to maybe decide they're they're too good for it or they're you know their programs at this point in the year, the best thing is not to go play in the NIT. If enough schools had done that, I think Oklahoma was was probably not too far down that list of alternates, but it didn't happen. And and perhaps you know I, I know Porter Moser said Wednesday night, you know he and any chance to compete, they're going to take it. But maybe getting to the finish line with this season and and beginning the, the those first steps toward year three is is where they need to be because you're right. Uh, it's, it's the seventh time since 1980 that they've not been in the NIT or the NCAA tournament. Uh, so it doesn't happen very often in Norman. That speaks to the, the sustained success they've had, uh, but also to where where they stand now of having to get better, knowing they're going to be in the Big 12 again for one more year next year. And we, we don't know that next year's Big 12 will look this good and this top-to-bottom difficult, but it surely won't be uh, a walk in the park 
And so there's, there's improvement and there's roster uh, changes that are going to make. I mean, the only guy who can't come back is Tanner Groves, but you know, already this afternoon, the first portal departure is Benny Schroeder who, who didn't feature much in, in his freshman season. I'm confident he won't be the last. And, and then it's going to come down to, to what you can do in the portal uh, and, and again, trying to build towards something better uh, in, in Moser's third season next year. It's an interesting case study because of having that one final year in the Big 12, knowing the differences and kind of styles that they play from the uh, from the Big 12 compared to the SEC. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated by the way that he handles this rebuild that's going to happen for one final year inside of the Big 12 conference. Yeah, I, I think the good news there is that, you know, while they're different, we're not talking about two different sports. I mean, the SEC basketball is still plenty physical, um, plenty athletic, all the things that I think this, this team needs to get better at. They're probably not at a point right now uh, where they can be focusing on, you know, I, where, where they've got to be better in the margins. They, we're, we're talking wholesale that this team needs to be more athletic, bigger, better shooting. And, and those are things that will translate, I guess, is the point, no matter what conference you're in. But uh, it, it is interesting. I, I think I think long and athletic is where Porter Moser wants to take things, and he didn't have enough of it this year. Um, but, but that roster building, uh, it, it was never more evident than in the three matchups with Oklahoma State. I mean, I, I think OU played in the toughest conference in the league this year. Uh, but, but the toughest opponent, the one they matched up the worst with, was the one 75 miles north in Stillwater because they just had everything inside and out to, to frustrate the Sooners. And it's why that game in, in Kansas City ended uh, looking a whole lot like those previous two matchups where, where by the end of it, um, Oklahoma just was not, uh, was really not, you know, ultimately competitive in any of those three games. Eli Letterman's our guest here on the Blitz 1170 from the Tulsa World. So you've seen a ton of Big 12 basketball this year. Uh, I'll ask you the question that seemingly gets asked a lot after some of the selections were were made in just in total from the Big 12. I, I saw this question asked repeatedly yesterday, which is, well, if that's the supposed best conference in the country, then how come they only got seven in compared to the other conferences? So, Eli, I'll pose the same question to you. My response was because there's more teams in the other conferences, but they still got almost 70% of the entire conference uh, into the NCAA tournament or some form of postseason play. Um, I don't, I still don't take anything away from the big 12 being an incredibly difficult conference. Yeah. I mean, percentage of conference probably is right. The better like metric to look at there, because there are bigger conferences, but you know, on the whole you're we're probably, if not an Avery Anderson injury away from Oklahoma state being there, you know, we, we know how, how fine the margins were for the Cowboys. That could have been eight. And then at that point, you're talking about an OU team that, that clearly by the end of the season, um, you know, could A, hang with the, the best teams in the conference. I mean, within from January 28th through the end of the year, they had wins over what is a top-seeded Alabama and, and tournament teams and Iowa State, Kansas State, and TCU. So they could do that, but we also saw what they looked like more often than, than not, which was a team that uh, wasn't anywhere near tournament caliber. And then in Lubbock, you know, you're talking about a Texas Tech program that clearly – it was really evident by, by the end of their time in Kansas City last week that, that they were just done for, for a multitude of reasons. And so um, I, I think both things can be true, that this was far and away the most competitive conference in, this, uh, in, in the nation. And, and it might show uh, here in this tournament field when these Big 12 teams get deployed to, to play schools that might not be ready for them. Um, but also that, you know, by the end of it, you know, Oklahoma and Texas Tech certainly and 
Oklahoma State to a different degree, and they've still got games to play. But you know, we're not we're not locked for this tournament by any stretch. What's next on the uh, Eli Letterman coverage route that you've got coming up? What was that movie that uh, that took home a bunch of Oscars last night? Everything, the, the, everywhere, all at once. Yes. <laughs> um, one of my favorites of the year for what it's worth. But, no, uh, going to be a lot of everything. I'll be uh, helping on the women's basketball coverage. We've got two teams there. We've got uh, national championship wrestling in Tulsa coming up. And then uh, what appears to be another runaway train of a softball team in Norman, along with a baseball program that's catching its stride. And uh, shoot, week from Wednesday, spring football. So everything, everywhere, pretty close to all at once. There is no doubt at all that you will be everywhere and have all of it taken care of. Eli, I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks so much for jumping on with us here on this Monday, and uh, we'll definitely be in touch. Thanks for having me, Pop. That's Eli Letterman joining us here on the Blitz 1170, who was up in Kansas City for the Tulsa World doing coverage for both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State on the men's and women's side. Uh, Schedule-wise, this is what it looks like, at least for us. 5 o'clock pregame Wednesday for OSU and the NIT. They're heading to Youngstown, even though they're the number one seed. Staffing issues will limit Oklahoma State's ability to host as the number one overall seed in the NIT. They hope to be able to do game two coming up live from Gallagher-Iba during the NIT. Uh, Also, the women are on the road as well. They play on Saturday. We hope as long as there is not any type of overlap in the coverage, we hope to be able to bring you Oklahoma State's NCAA tournament game on the women's side as well on a Saturday. All right, timeouts, 221. Take a quick little break here. Come back, get set for Dusty Dvorak at the bottom of the hour next here on the Blitz 1170. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.